Um, you know, before we uh, kind of dig into where we're going, I uh, want to make you aware of something that uh, we're, we're excited about. It's kind of become a, a tradition around here, uh, and it is beginning to look a lot like Christmas. In fact, yesterday, something happened uh, that hasn't happened in a long, long time in my house. Number one, the Longhorns won on the road last night. Um, and two, I mean, I just got to confess this to you guys. Uh, I got talked into decorating for Christmas, and, and uh, right? And uh, I, I'm a, I'm a, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, and I always hate decorating before Thanksgiving. But in my moment of weakness, the, uh, the kids went out, the Christmas music went on, the Christmas tree went up, and so we're full-blown Christmas at, at our house. Um, and, and, and I want to mention that because uh, on December 2nd, we're going, to let, we're going to help everybody get into the Christmas spirit. Uh, we have Tavern Carols coming up on December 2nd. And uh, so there's a few of you that know what I'm talking about. Otherwise, that like, you know, would have gone just you know, crazy. Do you have that slide, Heather? Uh, Tavern Carols? Um, so, oh, it's behind me. I was, <laughs> I was looking at the monitor here. Uh, so, uh, so Tavern Carols. Uh, we're at uh, Jay Gilligan's this year, and Randy is setting up uh, all the tents. We're going to be out in the parking lot, uh, so we're praying for good weather. Uh, he's gonna, him and his staff are going to be ready to roll. A uh, band takes the stage at 8 o'clock, so you can show up early. You can grab a table, and uh, you can uh, order your food and drinks, and it's going to be a great, great night And as we bring in officially the Christmas season. Now, now here's the deal. Uh, we don't do this event for us. Okay, if we just showed up in my heart, my mind, it would be a failure. The reason why we do this event and we, we want everybody to understand the why. The reason why is we know every single one of us have coworkers and family and friends and neighbors uh, that, that do not go to church anywhere. And this is an opportunity for us to invite as many people as possible who may, you know, have an excuse after excuse after excuse not to come to church on Sunday morning. Okay, you invite them that, no, 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 that, that's not for me, that's for me, I got plans, whatever. But they'll come to Jay Gilligan's and they'll drink a beer and they'll, you know, listen and sing the Christmas music. And it is a great, great opportunity for us to get the gospel out into our community. So this is where we all lock arms. And we have a thousand of these cards and we'll print more after today, but they're gonna be, they're on the tables, they're uh, on the uh, desk outside. Take as many as you want and start inviting your family, friends, and coworkers. And so plan your Christmas party. If your Christmas party hasn't been planned yet for your office, make this your office Christmas party. Show up early, grab you a table and make it the thing to do on December 2nd, okay? So December 2nd, let's make St. Patrick's Day look like a small gathering, okay? Because uh, that's what Jay Gilligan is known for. Let's just blow those numbers out the water and uh, let's ring in Christmas because we have something more to celebrate at the Christmas season than we do St. Patrick's Day. So that's what that's all about. So that being said, uh, we got some baptisms uh, coming up here in just a few moments. And so the water is quite warm. We left heaters on a little bit too much. So it's really kind of a hot tub in there. Um, but, uh, but we're continuing our series uh, on the Gospel of John, and we only have two more after today. Um, we started this journey a year ago, 
And uh, what we're looking at, we're looking at the life of Jesus and the life that he calls us to as his followers, as his disciples, as his students. And the Greek word is methetes. And the Greek uh, language is such, uh, it's very um, uh, picture oriented. And anytime somebody heard the word methetes, they would think of the word picture of a student following so closely behind their teacher that they would be literally covered in the dust of the teacher sandals. And so that's what, that's our goal is that we want to follow Jesus so closely that we're able to eavesdrop on his conversations and see in scripture how he, how he lives his life. And we want to mimic our life after that. And so we've been spending the whole year in the gospel of John, looking at his life and the life that he calls us to. And today's passage uh, describes the death of Jesus on the cross. And uh, there's just some simple, but yet three life-changing truths this morning um, that, uh, that, uh, that, that we're gonna come around. Let me just give them to you up front and then we'll, uh, we'll come around them at the end. So, um, so the, let me just give them to you. So the, the first truth this morning is the secret of his strength, okay? Um, and then the nature of his offer. And then last, we're gonna see how is it relevant, how is it relevant, relevant to us? So the secret of his strength the nature of his offer, and how is it relevant to us? So if you have your Bibles this morning, I wanna invite you to turn to John chapter 19. If you didn't bring your Bible, we're gonna put it up on the screen for us so you can pull it up on your phone. But John chapter 19 is where we left off last week. And uh, we're gonna be, we're gonna start in verse 16 this morning. It says, uh, finally, and I wanna read this whole passage and then we'll kind of jump into our three points this morning. Finally, Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. And so the soldiers took charge of Jesus and carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Gagatha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. And Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read the sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, uh, Latin and Greek. And the chief priest of the Jews protested to Pilate, says, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, I have written what I have written. And when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into the floor, into four shares one for each of them. And with the undergarment remaining, this garment was seamless and woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another, and let's decide by who, let's decide by lot who will get it. And this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom, whom he loved, that's John referring to himself, standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Verse 28. And later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there. And so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of of a hyssop plant, lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. 
And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So let's talk about the secret of Jesus's strength, the secret of his strength. And, you know, Jesus did so many things. In fact, everything Jesus did was intentional. And he did it in such a way that it fulfilled the scriptures. And Jesus, he, he faced opposition, he faced suffering, he was misunderstood. As we read the gospels, Jesus was tempted by the devil, uh, he was assaulted by the religious leaders, he was assaulted by the Roman soldiers, and everything he did, he did according to the scriptures, but he had this, this sense of, of inner strength in him. And so the, so the question is, you know, how did Jesus get the strength to face the things that he faced? Because, because, I mean, we all face difficult circumstances. Now, our difficult circumstances pale in, 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 you know, in the shadow of the cross and the suffering that Jesus went through. But yet, all the same, we, we have gone and we continue to go through suffering. And so, I think if we press into the scripture, what we really want to know is how did Jesus get the strength to face the things that he faced? Because I'm facing some things now and I need some strength. And so, Jesus, how did you do it? And I think most of us kind of would assume or tend to assume, well, you know, okay, preacher, Jesus is the son of God, okay? I mean, he's got this divine nature, this divine power going on. And that would be a safe assumption, except in Philippians chapter two, the apostle Paul says that Jesus, he was fully God and fully human. In other words, when Jesus came, when he left his glory, when he left heaven and came to earth, he emptied himself of all of his glory, that he became fully human and he voluntarily cut himself off from all of his divine resources. And Jesus found the strength to face the things he faced by being completely dependent upon the Father and the Spirit. And as we look at the life of Jesus, what we will see is he did not use any resources that are not available to you and I today. He didn't use any resources. He didn't have the, the beat on any resources. He didn't use any resources. He didn't use his divine power facing temptation or facing suffering or facing hardships that you and I don't have today. And so how did he access this strength? How do you and I access this strength from the Father in the Spirit? And here's how he did it. It's through his knowledge and use of the Scripture. It's through his knowledge and use of the Scripture. Every time Jesus was tempted by the devil, tempted in the desert for 40 days, he was tempted three specific times that, that were told. And, and every time the devil tempted Jesus, Jesus responded with, it is written. And then he would quote a scripture. When Jesus was assaulted by the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, Jesus responded to them by, by saying, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. In John chapter 18, when Peter takes out a sword to defend Jesus, Jesus says, put away your sword. I could call upon angels to come and defend me, but how would the scripture be fulfilled? On the cross, Jesus quotes Psalm 22, verse one. He, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That Jesus is constantly thinking about, meditating on, processing, quoting the scripture. 
that Jesus knew the path of the scripture so well that, that it, it shaped him instinctively and that's how he was able to face the difficulties that he faced. And if Jesus needed the word of God, how much more do you and I need the word of God? You say, well, okay, Jesus was Jesus, but how do I get started? Well, a great starting point would be, first of all, where are you needing strength right now? What's going on in your life, and your heart, that you just need the strength of God? And then Google Bible verses about that. And that's where you start. And what we need, we need consistent moments in God's word. Consistent moments. Just Sunday morning is not going to give us the knowledge that we need of the scriptures to be able to use them on a daily basis when we face difficult times. We need consistency. We need consistent moments in the word and, and maybe Googling some verses and putting them on a post-it note and putting it on the mirror or maybe, our, uh, or maybe a, we write it down to, uh, on, a, on an index card and, and maybe put it you know, in the car, you know, maybe on the dash so we can't see how fast we're going to get to work or to school. And, uh, no, don't do that. Um, but, uh, but put it around us. Maybe we put it on our phone as a screensaver. So we're thinking about, we're processing, we're meditating, we're thinking, how does this apply to my life? Maybe you need strength because you're just brokenhearted today. Well, the, the, the word of God says that Jesus is close to the brokenhearted. Maybe today that you're a little fearful because of some circumstances that, that you're facing. Well, the word of God says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Do not be terrified for he never leaves us nor forsake us. Whatever it is, it's found in here. And we need to meditate on it. And get it into our hearts and our minds and use it to help us have the strength to face whatever challenges life throws at us. Because God's word is the secret to our strength. Now let's talk about the nature of his offer. Because Jesus puts an offer on the table. And we all have to decide what we're going to do with this offer. Um, Jesus says in, in, um, at, the end of, at the end of this passage... Uh, he says in verse 28, he says, I am thirsty. And we're like, well, of course he's thirsty. I mean, he's being crucified on the cross in the heat of the day. Of course he's gonna be thirsty. Well, one of the things that people died of when they were being crucified was dehydration. They literally died of thirst. And uh, science, scientists tell us that, that it's a very painful death to die of dehydration. Um, you know, have you, ever, have you ever burned your skin like with steam? Maybe, you know, the iron, steam from the iron or boiling water, it's that steam and it's that irritation, that burn that you feel kind of all day, it kind of throbs. Well, scientists tell us that to die of dehydration, that's the feeling that you have all on the inside of your body. And it's a very, very painful death. But, but Jesus says, I am thirsty but all throughout this time, he hasn't complained. Now, he's fully human, and he's probably crying out with pain and agony as, as he's going through what he's going through. But he didn't complain when the soldiers blindfolded him and you know, took turns punching him and saying, tell us which one you know, hit, hits you. Uh, he didn't complain when they, uh, when they took the whip and they, they took it across his back. And Now, he did shriek out in pain and agony, but he didn't complain. 
And this whip that the Roman soldiers would use at the end of all these different uh, uh, strips of leather were embedded uh, balls of metal and sharpened bone. And so when it went across a person's back, the balls of metal would tenderize the flesh and the sharpened bone would hook into this flesh. And when they drew the whip back, it would tear the, the skin literally off the back of the victim. When they put a thorn of uh, a crown of thorns on his, on his brow. He didn't complain. Yes, he cried out because of the pain, but he didn't complain. But he submitted to everything. So, so, so why would he say that he's thirsty? Well, see, Jesus is not talking about physical thirst. He's talking about spiritual thirst here. And in the Bible, thirst is a metaphor for spiritual emptiness. It's a a metaphor for spiritual, the spiritual emptiness that comes when God is not the center of our lives. I mean, it's one thing to believe in God, okay? But it's another thing to have him be the, our central reality, the foundation of who we are, the core of our identity. Psalm 42 says, as the deer pants for streams of water, So my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And what the psalmist is saying is that in in, in my moments of stress and pain, discomfort and situations, and really what I need every day, my soul doesn't just need belief in God, but my soul needs to meet with, my soul needs to know, my soul needs to experience the living God. That's what we need. And lots of people believe in God, but the foundation of their identity is not found in God. It's found in other things. We find our identity in in work or school or relationships or health or wealth or or our family or romance or, or whatever it is. But Jesus says all through the book of John, he basically says that that if we put the bucket of our soul down into any well, that's not God, we will come out thirsty. We will continue to be thirsty. If we look for any, if we look towards anything other than God for meaning, for purpose, for identity, if we, it, it, we will not find the hope and the love and acceptance and peace and approval and significance that our souls thirst for. That was the message. Remember back in John chapter four, Jesus meets this Samaritan lady at the well. That's the whole, that's the whole point of, of John chapter four. Remember, we, we, we talked about that. We showed the chosen video clip of that. And, and, and the, what Jesus is trying to, trying to put out there is that you know, if, if we try to draw our identity or our source of, or our foundation for life, in any well other than God, we will be thirsty and continue to be thirsty that only God can quench that thirst. And so when Jesus says, I'm thirsty, he's talking, he's experiencing the ultimate thirst. He's experiencing the everlasting rejection of the father. 
He was experiencing what we deserve for our evil and sin, that Jesus was dying of the ultimate thirst so that we can ultimately drink from living water, that Jesus was being separated from the Father so that we could be accepted. And what the offer that Jesus puts on the table for us is not just forgiveness of sin, but the offer he puts out is eternal life, it's living water, it's our souls being satisfied, it's our thirst being quenched by him. And see, when we fully embrace the gospel, when we fully embrace that Jesus Christ, the son of God died for us, and that's what makes us approved and accepted and significant and loved. So when, when people betray us or people say things about us or they do things to us, it, yes, it hurts. And it's painful. We're not minimizing that, but it gives us something bigger to hang on to. It gives us something bigger to process this anger and this hurt and this betrayal through. And that if Jesus Christ says that I'm approved and he proved it to me by dying on the cross for me, then who really cares what they say? Yes, I wish they wouldn't have said it or done it, but I'm embracing what Jesus Christ says about me. And that's the offer that he puts out on the table. So how, how does this, how is this relevant to us. Look at verse 30. In fact, before we look at verse 30, I, I don't think this is the right place for this. I think the cross needs to be a little bit more central as we make this point right here. Verse 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus says, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus says one word in this phrase, you know, it is finished. And he says this Greek word that is to tell us die. To tell us die. And it means totally paid. It, it, it was a word that was used to. Uh, in legal uh, transactions, when somebody would pay their bill in full, they would write to telesty across the bill that you could show that bill to anybody and they would know that that debt had been paid in full. And here by the world's by, by, by the world's standards, Jesus is on the cross and he's completely hope, helpless, completely defenseless, completely powerless, completely out of control. And yet his last words are, I did it to tell us die, paid in full. First Peter chapter three, Peter writes, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, okay? Anybody fall in the righteous category? None of us. Anybody fall in the unrighteous category? All of us. Let me ask that, it's not rhetorical. Anybody fall in the unrighteous category apart from Christ? All of us. But the righteous, Jesus died for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Because of sin, there's this, there's this uncrossable chasm between us and God. 
And Jesus came, he was sent to earth to to traverse it for us that there's nothing more we can do. There's nothing more we can add to the forgiveness and the salvation of our souls. And Jesus says to Telestai, totally paid, it is finished. Now compare that to the last words of Buddha. Jesus' last words are tetelestai. In fact, let's just say that Greek word together, tetelestai. Let's say it again, tetelestai. Look at that. Man, we are all Greek scholars right now. The last words of Buddha were strive without ceasing. Strive without ceasing. The last words of Jesus are the exact opposite. And Jesus is saying, don't you dare continue to strive. I've done it all for you. I've done everything for you to have forgiveness of sins and salvation and eternal life and living water. I've done everything so that your identity can be found in me. I've done everything so that you can have all the acceptance and approval, significance, hope, love, security that you need in this world and the life to come. So don't you dare continue striving because it's to tell us die. It's paid in full. It's finished. That's what he says to us. That's what he has done for us. That's how it's relevant to us. And, 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 our, and after we become a Christian, are there things that we need to do as a Christian? Absolutely. There are some very bold do's and don'ts unapologetically. And everything that we do after we put our, our, our faith in Jesus, after we become a Christian, we do out of gratitude for all that he's done for us. To tell us die. It's finished. It's paid in full. But here's the problem. We keep trying to add to it. And there's two different groups, camps of people that try to add to the salvation of Jesus Christ. There's the people who beat themselves up. They just beat themselves up. Every time someone criticizes, every time we do something wrong, every time we make a mistake, every time that we we sin and mess up, we just beat ourselves up. Can't believe I did that. Why did I do that? Why did they say that about me? We just beat ourselves up. And some of us, we've been beating ourselves up for 15 years. And we know and we hear and we come to church to tell us die and it is finished and Jesus paid our debt in full and we have the forgiveness of sin and I get that in my head, but in my heart, I'm still paying penance we can't forgive ourselves and we keep beating ourselves up and what Jesus would want to say to us is quit beating yourself up because I was beaten up for you Jesus would say that you are forgiven that I paid for your sins in full. So quit beating yourself up and embrace to tell us God. It's paid in full. 
is finished. Now, please hear this. If this is your camp, the Bible says that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. In other words, when you put your faith in Jesus, we are no longer condemned because of our sin, that Jesus has forgiven us. He's he's wiped our debt clean. Now, there are consequences. Okay, there's consequences of our sin. There's consequences of our mistakes. But here's the deal. Could we not bring our consequences into the body of Christ because none of us are perfect? Remember, who's the unrighteous apart from Christ? All of us, we've all messed up. We all have a past. We've all, none of us are perfect. So could we bring those consequences to our brothers and sisters in the church and let our brothers and sisters lock arms with us and remind us, tell us die. It's paid for. No more beating yourself up. You're not condemned. You're forgiven. Now let's let's walk through these consequences together. That's what the church should be. So that's one camp of people. The other camp of people are the people who have to prove themselves. And we're constantly trying to build our resume and make ourselves feel significant, make ourselves feel important and make ourselves feel secure. And we're working really, really hard to try to prove to others and try to prove to ourselves and try to prove to God that we're good enough. That's exhausting. Aren't some of you tired? I'm tired of trying to prove myself. I'm tired of trying to please others. Tired. Jesus offers us today to tell us die. And when we embrace it, when both camps of people embrace the gospel and embrace the tell us die, there is rest. There is joy. There's freedom. There's acceptance. There's approval. There's significance. There's security. There's hope. And there is It's finished.